welcome to Conversations with Classic Boats, a podcast of modern classic yacht history. I'm your host, Tom Darling. I'm a sailing podcaster with a passion for classic boats. This is episode two of the series we call Conversations with Classic Boats, a podcast dedicated to sailing treasures, vintage boats, and the stories behind them. This month, amid all this pandemic news, we take you to another era, the time before the war, the Great War, World War I, and the Spanish flu of 1918-19. We start in Bristol, Rhode Island, the site of my own first sailing, and better known as the historical home of HMC, the Harishoff Manufacturing Company, who starting in the 1870s became the source of America's Grand Prix watercraft, be they power or sail. It seems like I've written a lot about the Harrisoff, Reliance, Dolphin. But I'll be honest, this episode's subject is a beauty and has inspired designs for more than a century. But first, let's play a little game. You know it, Alex Trebek, trivia. Let's call this Harrisoff Jeopardy. Imagine if you would if there were a television game show called Harrisoff Jeopardy. You know the game where you answer the question with, what is, and then the answer. Here, the category is American day sailors of the 20th century. The game goes like this. For $100, the category is Harrisoff day sailing boats. For $100, what 26-footer was launched in 1913 and sailed for a dozen years, spawning numerous offshoots such as the Newport 29, the Buzzards Bay 25, and the Harishoff 12 and a half. Buzzer? Hmm. For $300, what graceful day sailor was a fa- famous designer and builder's personal boat, which he took to Bermuda in the off-seasons and served as his lunchroom in Bristol, Rhode Island during the years before, during, and after the First World War? Cue the buzzer. And finally, for $500 and our winner, what is the only NG Harrisoft design whose critical designer, quote, brown book, is mysteriously missing from the 13,000-item Harrisoff archives in Boston, creating a design mystery worthy of Conan Doyle and Agatha Christie, still remaining to be solved. Clock ticks as a contestant mulls the answer. Your answer. Buzzer. What is Elarion 3? Correct. The name Elarion is a boatload of stories. This podcast covers a hundred years of classic boat history. From NGH Personal Boat to the 2020 relaunch of Alarian Boats and its Alarian-derived designs. We'll finish up in the modern world of fiberglass and see what's new for Alarian, the boat and the brand. But first a notice from our sponsor, Team One Newport home of Mad Martha University. Team One Newport is getting ready for the 2020 sailing season, whatever it may bring. I'm sure that most of you are still struggling with this season's rules of sailing, pods, sailing with the family. Martha moves forward with her YouTube presentations. Check them out online and call Team One for all of your racing needs and her great collection of event merchandise. Look for more of us with Team One and visit Martha's spanking new renovated store down there at the end of Thames Street. 
in Newport, Rhode Island. And we are proud to announce our second partner, the publishing group of WinCheck Media. A shout out to Chris alias Zepp and Ben Cesar. You can find us now on WinCheck. I've been privileged to be published by them for the last years with articles ranging from Frostbiting at Larchmont to the history of the largest America's Cup yacht and its model. Go to WinCheck and see the news they cover from New York east to the Cape. It's WinCheck on the web and connect with their email network. And thank you, listeners, for your kind response to the pilot on Dolphin, the Newport 29. It reinforces one of my mottos for conversations with classic boats. We're here to serve the boats. And tell us where and when you do your listening. Check it out on the website. The common wisdom of podcasts is that people listen while commuting. Not much of that's been going on until present. So just keep listening. Increasingly, we find that people may be listening after dinner at the end of their day to wind down. Send us an email to tcdforsale2 at gmail.com or to the website and give us your feedback. So let's, as we do, get to the history of the design. Valerian Three, Captain Nat's favorite child. The Illyrian is a design born in local Bristol, Rhode Island waters from a succession of day-sailing designs done during the golden age of the Harrisoft Manufacturing's relentless design and construction campaigns of massive America's Cup yachts at its complex stretching, stretching east-west down narrow Burnside Street to Bristol Harbor. The Illyrian logo itself is, a, is an image of a mythical bird, a cross between an osprey and a gull in black or normally in red. Its cachet as NGH's personal boat and its sturdy combination of sea-kindly hull and surprisingly stiff shoal draft has led to new interpretations of the design. There have been at least four generations of Valerians built and sailed on American waters. When we say Alarion in this article, we mean Alarion 3. I call her A3. Design number 718, the personal boat that Captain Nat sailed, often solo, from 1913 to 1924, well into his 70s. Personally, I never f- set foot in Alarion 3. It was on its way to the Mystic Seaport's small boat collection when I first came to Bristol Yacht Club as a junior sailor with my Blue Jay from Long Island Sound. My own boat had been built by aerospace engineers at Grumman Corporation with features Captain Nat would have appreciated. Bright finished transom, bendy wood mast, high-tech floorboards. But early on, I did sail in one of Valerian III's descendants, the 12 and a half. The most plentiful of NGH's designs and the parent of the fiberglass bullseye and dough dish models seen throughout the Northeast. In the family of Harrisoff day sailors, the 12 and a half rigged either Gaff or Marconi was Alarion's little brother. In the late 1960s at the Bristol Yacht Club, the 12 and a half was the hot competitive class. As a preteen with long arms, I got the crew on this 1920s wood boat, Gaff rigged with its club footed jib and a handkerchief non pulled spinnaker, I always seemed to be wrestling with. Go forward more than 30 years now to 1998. Moving on after a career of performance boat sailing, th- from thistles to lasers to east gows, back to thistles, 
I settled into keelboat middle age in Nantucket sailing. That experience came in the new Nantucket fleet of Chris Hood-built International One Designs, IODs, derived from the Norwegian builder of the original wood versions commissioned by Larchmont Yacht Club sailors in the mid-1930s. In 1999, I migrated with my young family from summers in Westport, Connecticut to summers in Nantucket. This was the spot where my New York City grandmother had gone before World War I and where my relative, John Darling, had come from Martha's Vineyard to go to sea when the family land gave out in Gay Head in the 1760s. Today, most visitors arrive in Nantucket by ferry, at least those with two small children, a trunk full of American girl dolls and beach toys. The drill is load your car on the ferry, snooze for a couple of hours, and when you return to your car, peek through the portholes on the starboard side, looking for a glimpse of Nantucket town with its church steeples over weathered gray buildings. Out that rusty porthole, as we rounded Brand Point, I saw it. A handsome knockabout, royal blue, riding at anchor, mahogany brightwork, blinding in the midsummer sun, love at first sight. And riding near it was a pale gray boat that resembled the royal blue boat. The blue boat was, and is, a two, serendipity, owned by Harry Ryan, the original fleet captain of the Nantucket fleet. The gray boat was Owl, owned then by Eric Holk, a well-known Nantucket graphic artist, whose cards are the staples of Nantucket tourists, and ties are what we call pre-pandemic cocktail party garb. The two boats represent the historical record of the largest concentration of Valerians in the world. Back to the Future, the Illyrian Design. In our episode one podcast on Dolphin, the 36-foot Newport 29, we had listeners asking us the following questions. We assumed everyone knew everything about Harrisoff. But here were the key questions. Who exactly is and was this Harrisoff character? Where and how did he work? What boats did he design and build via the Harrisoff method? What exactly is the Harrisoff method? All questions that require a brief history of the Wizard of Bristol. Nathaniel Green Harrisoff, one of MIT's earliest students, class of 1870, was trained as a mechanical engineer and self-taught as the yacht designer and builder who for more than 60 years from the late 1800s to the Depression exerted more influence on marine design and engineering than any other figure. His legendary design genius, engineering innovations, and manufacturing efficiencies led to the production of six America's Cup winners and hundreds of other highly regarded vessels. The introduction of the modern catamaran, the first torpedo boats for the U.S. Navy, and the first steam-powered fishing boats in the U.S. This was the headline for the exhibit at the, at the MIT Museum called Lighter, Stronger, Faster, The Harrisoff Legacy. There at Sullivan Square on the north bank of the Charles River in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Unfortunately, given the events of today, we were unable to get up there. But we were fortunate to have prior research done by wooden boat sages like Maynard Bray at Off Center Harbor and builders like Eric Fingers of Nantucket to guide us through 
Valerian history. First, we asked some of our friends from Nantucket to give us their impressions of what it's like to sail in Valerian. David Douglas, who's a venture capitalist from Silicon Valley, has sailed A23 since the late 1990s. What does he have to say about it? Uh, when I moved to Nantucket, uh, I was infatuated with the Inner Harbor and wanted to get a boat to sail in the Inner Harbor. And um, I wanted a boat that uh, I could also race, but that I could also take out friends out on a cocktail cruise. Mm-hmm. So I was originally thinking about getting an Indian, as, and back then that was the most active class. And um, a, f- a friend of mine on the island, who you may know, Bill Little. Sure. So Bill had a friend who had a what, Weona. Yep. The right, yep. Uh, and brought it over from the Cape and had it for the summer. And he and I, he and I used to go out in that all the time. And I said, "Boy, this is a great boat. It's too bad there isn't a class of boats like this on the island." Yep. And he said, "As a matter of fact, there are, and they're called the Larians." Hmm. And he showed me an Larian. And as soon as I, it was love at first sight, I said, "Boy, I would really love to have one of these." And again, it satisfied my criteria of there being a, a racing class. It's big enough to take six people out for a cocktail cruise, Mm -hmm. but small enough that you can sail it single-handedly. Perfect. Perfect. Let's put Alarion 3 in context for its day. It was the design for the modern day sailor. Keel centerboard day sailors were derivations of New England knockabouts, generously rigged low freeboard designs, not conducive to keeping the crew dry. The Harrisoft customer was partial to a little bit more comfort. Short overhangs and hollow bows were the design features that led to throwing that characteristic southern New England chop aside. Valerian was a quantum leap in that regard by employing the result of NGH's sharp eye seeing Bermuda-fitted dinghies during his winter stays. Those beautiful hollow sections of Ford are what so many of us consider along with the round porthole and the rectangular coach roof to be the elements of a Harrisoft design. In their book, Harrisoft of Bristol, Maynard Bray and Carlton Pinheiro noted, quote, Alarion and her successors were remarkable in their short but graceful overhangs, high bows and low sterns, with a beautiful shear line connecting them and generous beam at, on deck. Narrow at the waterline with a ballasted keel and centerboard arrangement, the easily driven hull shape culminated forward in distinct hollow water lines carried well into her topsides. Built by the select crew in the small boat shop at the Bristol Yard, Valerian was, in Bray's word, one of Harrisoff's most exquisite creations. As we said, that distinctive bow, which we saw also in her bigger cousin, the Newport 29, we think came from one of Bermuda's fitted sailing dinghies in Hamilton Harbor. The line drawings don't do justice to the grace of that Harrisoff shear. Yachtsmen appreciate this hull shape in naval architects, especially the combination of waterline and deckline that produce that lovely hollow bow. The 1912 construction drawings for design number 718 could never do justice to that. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Now, what is this Harrishoff method? One hears from design historians and classic boat builders 
about the unique way Airsoft Manufacturing built boats. The world and only headquarters was on Burnside Street, south of the downtown area of Bristol, Rhode Island. Today known best in New England for its red, white, and blue center line on its main street and its big 4th of July parade. NJH's approach to design and building was meticulous and relentlessly documented. Famous entrepreneurs from other industries studied how Harrisoft produced so many high-quality boats. But the Harrisoft method revolved around a couple of principles. Number one, design from the half model. If you came to Burnside Street, chances were good. NGH would have a large piece of wood in his hand, whittling a, hud a hell shape. Once fared, that model was measured with a contraption of his design that resembles to my eye a large metal spider. That yielded the measurements of the various stations, the so-called offsets, the numbers at each frame. Think of them as the designer fashion's dressmaking patterns. From that, the factory made custom-shaped frames, which with the hull upside down, took the individual plank frames. This was and is in wooden boat building circles known as the Harrisoff Method. The Harrisoff Museum and the MIT Museum hold the collection of these models. The second distinctive feature was full integration. HMC built every component. Everything was made down to the screws, even the sails, made of custom, specified cotton sailcloth. Valerian was built in the small boat section on Burnside Street, between the major building programs for the AC Boats Reliance and Resolute. Captain Nat had Valerian 3 shipped to Bermuda soon after her launching in 1912-3 for his winter trips to the island. He then returned home in 1920 to Bristol, sailing her in total for a dozen years before retiring for good to Coconut Grove in Florida, 1924, taking with him a more livable Alarian derivative called Pleasure. In those post-World War I days, those were pandemic years, an older Nat Harrisoff still found time to take his daily lunch, hop on Alarian 3 waiting at the dock, single-hander around Bristol Harbor. A relaxing lunch later, he had solved a thorny problem or two in that polymath mind, and he hopped off his Gunter rig favorite and went back to work. This all changed when he stepped back into retirement in 1924. The 20s were roaring, but business was slow. NGH held on to Larian 3 until September 1928, when he sold her to his friend Charles Rockwell. At 79, Captain Nat felt he had to give up sailing alone. Meanwhile, it was time for Pleasure. Pleasure, the next, more livable version of Alarian 3. The boat was Captain Nat's equivalent of his post-retirement RV. It was designed either to go down the intercoastal waterway or be put on a train. Pleasure was built in only a few weeks in fall 1924. The yard was short of work at the time and shipped by rail to Key West and launched January 24, 1925. Captain Nat's Alarian days on the water were past, but this design moved him forward in a new way. The post-World War I era was also a time of yacht clubs commissioning their own one-design keelboat fleets. Commodore Benedict of the Swanica Corinthian Yacht Club in Oyster Bay had immediately ordered a duplicate of Alarian, which he called Sadie, and then a few years later arranged for a fleet of smaller and less expensive fish-class sloops with similar bows to be built for other members of the club. Likewise, Robert Emmons of the Beverly Yacht Club had become enamored of the same bow shape and commissioned 
NGH to employ it for a fleet of scaled-down fish boats, which was to become the Harrisruff 12 and a half, of which HMM, HMC turned out almost 400 over the next 30 years. In past articles, we've told you the story of the Newport 29. The other variation on the Illyrian theme, the Buzzards Bay 25, was his uncle's favorite model, said Sidney Harrisoff, counting all the designs related to Illyrian. Close to 500 of Illyrian 3's progenies have hit the water. The proliferation of designs that have evolved from this hull indicates that for Nat Harrisoff, the creation of Illyrian was truly inspirational. Now, great artists and craftsmen always carry secrets with them. There are at least two mysteries that exist in my own mind before I did my work on Illyrian. One case I think I solved, but one still remains. Mystery number one. What is that Illyrian 3 color? Illyrian was the first boat I wanted to interview after Dolphin. Dolphin is white, originally with a signature Harrisoft mid-green bottom. Pretty straightforward as a color scheme. In the small boat shed at Mystic Seaport, the restored Illyrian 3 gleams in its restored glory since its reinstallation in the early 1970s. Its light green topsides are jewel-like. On the water, it changes with the light and water conditions. What is that color? When we were involved in helping repaint a Nantucket boat for my co-skipper, Brian Simmons, I told the story of when I saw Illyrian in the water on the end of the dock in the middle of the HMC waterfront. It was 1963. My father had taken over running the Pearson boat building facilities in the old HMC space. When it was time to repaint my skipper's boat, first tracks, I said to him, I know I've seen that color. Did some research. By chance, I traced the color path to the Smithsonian. There in their records, along with other Harrisoff artifacts, was the record of that color. Sea foam green. So over the next winter, Brian's first tracks got the same treatment as Alarian 3. Sea foam green topsides. Black boot top, white bottom. Now on to mystery two. The mystery of the missing offsets. When Eric Fingers, who today builds and services the Nantucket Illyrian fleet, consulted on the recent MIT Museum exhibit, he found something quite odd. There were no plans, no Illyrian plans. He was quizzed. Did he have any Illyrian plans? All the museum had was two sets of line drawings, none of the offsets, as we said, the dress patterns of a boat builder. None of the specifications, whether it be for this hardware, the ballast, or a thousand other details. Mystery. Where were they? For every one of over a thousand designs, Nat Harrisheff kept the vital statistics of each boat in a brown-covered notebook. Think of it as a, like a moleskin notebook. This contained all the specifications, including the measurements and the all-important offsets. Essentially, the measurements to make the boat. Alas, design 718, no book, missing in action. We did some research. Our primary article was a 1997 wooden boat article, September-October, which told us the following story. In 1964, the fifth owner of Alarion 3, Ike Merriman, donated Alarion to Mystic Seaport. Standard procedure for a donation at Mystic's boat warehouse 
was documentation of the sale, deck, construction, and lines plans. This was done by their own naval architect. And then a complete refit of Valerian III was done under the supervision of Maynard Bray. A gleaming rebuild of Valerian III was installed in the small boat shed at Mystic. When in the early 80s, a family looking for a boat for Buzzard's Bay sailing showed up at Mystic, the search for the well-worn plans turned up less than expected. Where was the book? Where should we look? Where would a marine archaeologist start their search? This is a mystery we throw out for the classic boat community. The Mystic boat building team under Warren Barker built a boat called Curlew, also the subject of the 1997 wooden boat article, which was launched in 1994. The article's photos show the construction process from scratch, from milling the logs to setting the ballast. A main sailor commissioned a replica, also, also appropriately called Phoenix, all with authentic measurements, but not by the book. Previously in 1977, another aspiring builder, Alfie Sanford and his assistant Matt Reese, looked, they were stumped. So they came up with their own set of plans, which reflected underbody changes that they made for Nantucket's shoal waters. But so then, just as it is today, the case of the missing offsets remains open. Did NJH lose it? Did he deliberately hide them so no one who came after them would have the recipe to build an Alarian 4? The mystery continues. It's time we explored the children and cousins of Valerian III, built from Rhode Island to Maine by builders like Beetle, Artisan, Brooklyn, and on my home island of Nantucket, Sanford Boat. The history of the Nantucket Valerian comes from the most recent builder, Eric Fingers. Eric wasn't present at the birth of the Nantucket Alarian in 1977. It was the brainchild of one Alfie Sanders, who wanted a new day sailor for the stiff winds and shallow waters found in choppy Nantucket Sound and the seven-mile-long Great Harbor, which lays out more like a sunken golf course with its points, sandbars, and swirling breezes. As the story goes, he convinced the MIT Museum to share with him the plans that they had. Remember, two sheets of drawings. Remember, the Illyrian book was or was about to be lost. The first sailing model, appropriately called Una, had unsatisfactory helm characteristics. So out came the surgeon's saw and took 14 inches of the front of the rudder out. On a 15-knot reach, you could fool me that the weather helm was improved, but they thought it was. The first boat was a Harishoff looking in hardware, bar travelers on the main and jib, the swept-back bendy upper mast section to twist out that long upper batten. Boat number two, Serendipity, is today and since 1979, the model for the fleet that today numbers 32. A32, a gorgeous midnight gray creation, splashed in 2019.
all the Nantucket boats are coal molded, four layers of wood, the outer two in mahogany. A fair number of them are still bright finished. The masts are jigsaw puzzles of spruce on top of a steel box with cross braces inside at intervals and culminates with an S-boat-like wooden tip. On that bendy top, as it is for the chain plates, a rock-hard wood called Angelique provides the strength to anchor the shrouds and support the chain plates. Anchor wells and flag halyards for gentlemen's day sailing are juxtaposed with today's modern Harkin, Maine, and jib travelers, high-powered outhauls for smoky sou'wester upwind trim, and Cunningham with winches. Not really traditional. The first boats built in a shed in mid-island Nantucket, you got a deck that came canvas or fiberglass. Gorgeous teak decks came in in the 1990s with three 16th strips. One of the boats, A18, owned by the Polar Beverage family, has a 5 16th teak deck on top. Heavy, but sturdy in a boat that weighs three and a half tons. Almost half the weight of a 36-foot dolphin, if you remember. The Nantucket Lalarian is as one design as a 26-foot custom-built wooden knockabout could be. That's the beauty of the innovation used by the builder who brought in, in the late 1970s, the process developed by the Goujon brothers, former ice boat extraordinaires, of the West system of coal-molded epoxy construction. The Nantucket boats, beginning with A2, are fundamentally the same. Same shape, same weight, and with uniform hardware upgrades, same rigging. The story of the early Nantucket Alarian fleet is of wandering boats built on and off the 49-square-mile island. Harry Rhine, who I call the godfather of the fleet, is a former venture capitalist and New York Yacht Club treasurer. His boat is a good example of how Alarians were built over time. His Serendipity A2 wasn't completely built when she went south to the Chesapeake, picked up a spinnaker and a backstay before being returned to Nantucket and put back into local fleet configuration. All of the boats through 1997 were built from strips of wood stapled and cold molded with epoxy resin, West system as we say. Starting with A24, built for Mark Pagan, a Philadelphia citizen and chairman of the U.S. Squash Association, his was the first boat to be built with vacuum bagging. Now this is a technology Captain Matt would very much approve of. Exotic wood, resin neatly and uniformly deposited on the outer skin, beautiful inside and out. Matt built the AC behemoths with exotic and unwieldy combinations of metals, ones with limited lives due to their chemical interaction. A hull was basically good for a campaign. NGH would appreciate the stiffness and strength of epoxy. It's his kind of thing. So for 23 years, exactly nine of these epoxy beauties have come off the mold. Mass the same, centerboard the same, an ideal weight of 
6,200 pounds with 2,800 pounds of lead. As we said, one of the boats has a thick deck, probably weighs another 800 pounds. Two times the Illyrian Hull has won Nantucket's Opera House Cup. The years were 2006 and 2018. The first one was Owl, as we mentioned earlier. Different underbody, but the, roughly the same hull. The most recent win in 2018 was a, was a brand new boat skippered by a local female skipper with a crew from the other yacht club in Nantucket Great Harbor. The fact is that in 2018, with northeast winds ripping against an opposing tide and 25 knots of breeze, the first six boats on corrected time in the Opera House Cup were Olarians. It takes me back to 2006 when I sailed in a virtually brand new A26 with my friend Brian Simmons, who you who you've heard from him before. We seem to have a pattern here, Brian and I. Harrisoff, rough water, high wind. Brian picks up the story. Why don't we start with uh, what our experience was way back when, many years ago, in the Opera House Cup, when you first had the boat. 2007, I think I'd had the boat for a year, and I'd sailed it you know, that first summer probably almost every day. And then the second summer, you and I started sailing together, and we did pretty well racing. And, uh, and then time came for the uh, Opera House Cup, and we decided we'd do it. And I think, Tom, the good news was that we actually ended up doing pretty well. We went out, just the two of us, right, which which was insane. It was it was, well, it it was a, crazy. It was a horrible day. It was a horrible day. Well, I mean, it would have been it would have been it would have been crazy to, to you know to, to the two of us to race first tracks uh, in the Opera House Cup on a on a beautiful day, and we went out on a day where we weren't even sure the race was going to start. You remember? Right. Oh, I mean, we were we were sitting there nine o'clock in the morning, nine fifteen in the morning. We're off Brand Point, and suddenly that lightning bolt crosses crosses the harbor. Right up, right above Brand Point, we're sitting underneath to avoid the rain, and we're we're listening to the the uh, race committee radio, and we're looking at our at our phones on um, on you know weather apps, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And sure enough, these guys say they're going to have a race. Yeah. So we rigged the boat and we sailed out. I can't remember and, uh, if we. Um reefed it do we reef it in in at the at, at the mooring because we saw I, I think we i think we went out with the reef in okay and i you know we sailed I, I, we, we took the reef out and i can't remember if we took it out right before the start or if we took it out on the second leg right. it was one or the other right right and then we sailed the rest of the way without the reef which may or may not have been a, a smart thing right. to do well we didn't know whether it was um, or not yeah yeah but we had life jackets on pretty much the whole race, oh, right? We never took them off. We were, we were, we, we, we were, uh, you know, we were one step short of having to bail during the race because mm. so much water was coming over the deck. And, um, and we did pretty well. And I don't even think we realized how well we were doing. No, because all we, we saw, got, yeah, all we saw was Al over the distance with those right. four guys. And, we didn't know that they'd broken the stay. So they were, they, if they had to tack, they were done. But, yeah. uh, so we got to Z, and we must have had that last leg before Z. We must have done really well because yeah. we caught up. Yeah. Now. So yeah. we so we come around Z, 
and we're probably, I don't know, what do you figure, four boat lengths, five boat lengths at yeah. most. Yeah, no, pretty right? close, pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. And and um, and then we could tell that they that they'd broken their Lord's Day. And they had um, Crowley and Lyman Perry rigged <laughs> up in, in sail straps, right, right? sail ties, right. hiking out over the side so that so that they could try and hang on and make the finish line without tacking because right. they because they, they couldn't. Right. If they right? tacked they would have broken the mast, right. And yeah. they they crossed they, they they gained on us there. They probably crossed the finish line what 15 20 lanes yeah. ahead of us yeah. and uh and they crossed the line and they immediately dropped sails and called for a tow because exactly. they had no they had no choice and we sailed in right right, right. and and by this time i mean we're soaking wet oh. we're cold we're, we hadn't been able to eat anything because it mm. was so rough and we somehow managed to grab the mooring you grabbed the mooring we grabbed the mooring we dropped the sails, and right that second, the entire jib boom <laughs> blew up. Just the whole thing. There were pins and cotter pins and screw, and it was just all over the deck. And the thing just dropped out of the deck, and we both looked at each other and said, safe. Safe, exactly. Yeah, Which I think pretty good. Alarian was first and fourth, yeah, in that race. I yeah, mean, yeah. Alarian was first and fourth. But yeah. I, I, the combination, and if you remember, I made you a mouse pad of a picture that somebody took. From the side, yeah, the one at Z, right. where there's where the rudder, the rudder was in the water, but not much else. Nothing else. The, the keel was basically out of the water. Yeah. Right. So, and I think, I mean, I think I still had cotton lines on the boat at that time. I think right? you had everything that was the original. I don't think anything yeah, had been changed. Yeah. So, so I had no traveler. I just yeah. had that coat hanger, right, at the, at the for the for right. the um, for the boom, yeah, for the main, and um, and we had cotton lines, which yep. you know I pretty much had to get. They were stretched. They were probably. <laughs> Well, 12, 18 inches longer than when we started. That was that was, that was a fun day. Though. That, that was welcome to the Opera House Cup. Welcome to the Opera House Cup. All right. On my desk is the mouse pad with us going upwind to the finish. Boat completely out of the water. You can see light under the, under the not under the keel, but under the rudder. That was really a ride. Now we come to modern times. I have seen the recent past and future of Valerian, and it is a gasp made of glass fiber. Modern times for the Valerian are fiberglass. The middle-aged history of Valerian has to do with Gary Hoyt. Personally, I call Gary the Wizard of Newport. He was a Pan Am medalist in Sunfish, an ad exec by profession, Comet Sailor, down in his home waters on the Jersey Shore, and a longtime friend from Newport. We know him as the guy who lived in the house near Ida Lewis Yacht Club that looked like a lighthouse. In my opinion, Gary is the Captain Nat of his time, a tinker, designer, sailing innovator. He launched with Tillotson Pearson, one of the first designs to use carbon fiber masts. For the new model Alarian of the late 80s, fiberglass, designed by a Midwestern architect, Schumacher, Carl Schumacher, who drew and built a lovely popular brand of S2 boats built in Michigan, Gary was their consultant. He had some unusual ideas. First was the modern version of the self-tacking jib. Then the Dutchman, we know that as 
self-furling mains. For Gary, it was all about shorthanded sailing, exactly how Harrisoff would have wanted for his own solo lunch sailing. The rest of the middle-aged Delarion, and they built hundreds of these, was below the waterline. Different. Fin keel, separate rudder, but basically the same hull. A good friend of mine, Kirk Radke, has had an Alarian 28, sometimes called the Alarian Express, at the end of Long Island, at the Devon Yacht Club. He tells us what his experience is sailing that boat out in Gardner's Bay. Alarian uh, 28 fleet um, at the Devon Yacht Club, which is out east Long Island, in Amagansett, and they sail out of Devon Yacht Club in Gardner's Bay. Um, I first saw an Alarian on Gardner's Bay about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, as, as everyone can see from pictures and, and drawings, it, it really is a beautiful thing on the water. And Gardner's Bay is... Um, a wonderful place to sail because you get uh, pretty consistent over the summer, pretty consistent um, ocean breeze that comes across a little spit and then comes down into the bay, um, and it's usually very flat water. What I loved about the boat um, was it was really easy. You know, you drove up um, and you could get out on the water and sailing. Uh, with one other person, um, you know, it was yeah. 20 minutes. Quick, quick, quick. And yeah. Off the dock, It right? was off the dock, um, very safe, you know, not a long checklist that you had to go through. Um, it was very easy at the end of the day to put her to bed. Um, and and when, when she was out, um, it was a wonderful sale. It didn't matter what the conditions were. You could, um, you could enjoy your time. And again, I spent most of my time, you know, out there. Sure, you're pretty open work. water. You were out in pretty open water. I mean, what I think of as open water, yeah, more than Nantucket yeah, Harbor. It's, yeah, it's you know, you're it, it was it, you're you're out and out and about, and um, you could really, yeah, you know, put her through the paces, and yeah. she could put you through your paces. And yeah. So it was it was a really and it was it was just a perfect boat for that uh, that bay and logistically a very easy um, boat to, to to work your way through. We wish we could have gotten Gary for our interview, but he was in Newport and we were in New York. There have been other attempts to build a variety of Valerian models in fiberglass. The breaking news on the modern history of a company called Alarian Yachts was the purchase of Alarian Yachts in December 2019. Peter Johnstone of the J-Boat Clan had teamed up with Randy Borges in Rhode Island to launch an amalgamation of these following Alarian models. Gary Hoyts contributed Alarian 20, Schumacher's 28-foot Alarian Express, a variation built at 33 feet, and a new design called the Alarian 30. 
On the website, the literature refers to having more than 600 Illyrians in existence as of 2019. But after a couple of years, Peter Johnstone has decided to sell Illyrian yachts to his friend Peter Eastman. Peter Eastman has had a long record of producing Howard boats on Cape Cod. You know it best as the maker of the Barnstable Cat. Ironically, the two Peters had been rivals in prep school sailing in the early 1980s and college sailing teammates after that. Peter Eastman really likes Alarians. In a December 2019 interview, Peter said, quote, I have loved Alarian yachts since their inception in 1986. He sees it as the top day sailing keelboat brand and decided that even in these times, he'd give it a go. We wish him luck. Sell a lot of boats. We have very fond feelings about the Alarian. It's a nimble 6,000 pound boat. Weatherhelm's not so bad. Most seaworthy little boat I've ever sailed in rough water. And wow, how fast you can go sailing. sailing sails are on the boom. All lines are rigged. Off for the covers. Main and jib. There you are by yourself. Winches on the deck. Halyards up. Pull them up. Drop the mooring. Run back. And you're sailing. And no matter where you are. Nantucket. The Cape. Maine. With an Alarian, people know who you are. I've actually, for one of my Windjack articles, published a field guide to the Alarian. These are the details of as many of the models as I could research of the boat since 1912. As always, keep your eyes open. Send in your own field notes if you have an Alarian sighting. We know there are other boats built by other builders. These are rare birds, but easy to recognize. Maybe you can track one down. Classic boat spotters, keep your eyes open for the Alarian, and please report your sightings. And we have a new feature this episode. In the British Parliament, they have what's called question time. Uh, and that's often there to reverse questions or reverse mistakes that have been made. In that situation, the Prime Minister stands up in the House of Commons and fields questions at large, be they softballs or bricks. Two questions have come back to me. And by the way, an admission of mistake. In the Dolphin episode, I said the boat was 35 feet. It's not. It's 36 and a half feet. So, my mistake. But question number one. Where do you re actually record this podcast? <laughs> Good question. In the days of pandemic here in New York City, I have modified my daughter's clothes closet in the Manhattan apartment. Still full of clothes. But I have installed microphones and computers. Interviews? I'd love to do them face-to-face, -face, but it's remote. Fortunately, I'm talking to my friends most of the time. And closed closets are great, by the way. They absorb all the sound of fire engines and ambulances from the last 90 days. Question number two. 
What is the music you play and where does it come from? First of all, the production engineer for this is my son, Ned, producing remotely from rural New Hampshire. His experience doing Dartmouth College theatrical production is a lifesaver because there are obviously no sound booths or production professionals to use. Also, I consciously pick older music that evokes the seas. I've often, often thought of doing a Spotify list for this. Tell me what you think. The opening music, which I reference in the website, is The Sleepy Lagoon by Eric Coates with the BBC Orchestra. For you BBC freaks, you will recognize it as the title music for the Desert Island disc series of celebrity interviews that ran on the BBC for many, many years. The closing music is one of my favorites, Roll the Old Chariot by a chanty singing group called Nelsons. I expect I'll change the music from time to time, but again, give me your opinion and tell me, would you like a playlist of Spotify of relevant marine music? And again, go to the website Conversations with Classic Boats to access this podcast. You can also find us on WindCheck and soon Team One Newport's websites. Get your get the podcast wherever you get it your podcast normally. That's probably the usual new Apple podcast app or iTunes. By now, the world should be able to listen to conversations with classic boats. What's next? Well, episode three is literally up in the air. Will there be a race week at Nantucket this summer? Because we plan to do a live feed from Straight Wharf on the Friday night before the Opera House Cup. So, tune in. Hopefully we'll be there. And remember, find us on the website at conversationswithclassicboats.com or wherever you get your podcast. Fair sailing. Be well. Stay well. Tom Darling. And we'll roll the Chariot along, we'll roll the old chariot along, we'll roll the old chariot along, and we'll all